Good, so Acts chapter 2, we're in an Acts series uh, in the book of Acts, and we've been amongst the first few chapters of Acts for some weeks now, particularly in these uh, latter verses of chapter 2, which are the Where's Waldo verses. You know, in Where's Waldo, they stuff so many things onto the same page, the seaside, the city, the woods, the boats, the cars, the aeroplanes, and you've got to try and find Waldo. Well, Luke, who was actually a doctor who wrote the book of Acts, he, he compresses so many important elements of healthy New Testament church life into just a few verses um, at the end of Acts chapter 2. So let's read them again. Verse 42 in our handouts together. And they devoted, that's a key word, could you please say devoted, to the apostles' teaching, which Jack spoke about last week, the Word of God, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, which is my focus today, church as family is the title, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, please say together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together. Say together again. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Uh, That phrase, being saved, it's a shorthand phrase that the Bible sometimes uses for becoming a Christ follower or becoming a Christian. It means saved from the penalty of our sin. The Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith in his forgiveness to us, and we're forgiven of our sins past, present, and future. We're, We're saved from a life of sin, and saved from being separated from God, because ultimately sin does separate us from God. That's why the Bible speaks about an eternity either in heaven or hell. And as we put our faith in Jesus and receive his forgiveness, we get saved from a Christless eternity as well as a Christless life on earth, which is absolutely thrilling. You might have heard if you're exploring Christianity, there's a version of the Bible called the Good News Bible. Uh, That group of translators, so similar to the other translators, but they stole a great phrase because the word gospel literally means good news. So we got this community of people who heard about the claims and teachings of Christ, and they figuratively, or maybe literally, put up their hand and said, I believe in Jesus, and they were added to this number. They weren't just uh, living their lives as solo Christ followers, they were added. Please say added. So God's plan is that we're saved and then we're added. Added to what? Well, the characteristic of church that we're looking at today is church as family. And I want us to start with some theological, that means biblical roots, because otherwise it's just PJ's idea or that church's style. What does the Bible have to say? Well, amazingly, the primary description that the Bible gives of God is Father. And in fact, we see God not just as Father, but as a community, a triune community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God himself is a community. What type of community? Is he just a community to 
create the world and then save people. Well, certainly the triune God is on mission, still on mission to save and add people to the Lord's family. But the, the Trinity is a highly relational, a deeply, profoundly relational family. And we get, we get little glimpses or windows into this relational beauty of the Trinity. The first is, uh, that I want to refer to, is Luke chapter 3. Jesus is getting baptized, and the voice of the Father comes from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that can just wash, wash by us, and we think, oh, that's not very special. Well, one of my sons is sitting in the back there, uh, Sam, uh, one of my other sons, Jack, is in the room as well. But I'm looking at you. Sam, honestly, you are my beloved son. I'm so pleased in you. Now, it's great for me to say that to him. But did you feel what happened to the atmosphere in the room as I said it? It's like, wow. That was just to help us not gloss over the voice from heaven. You're my beloved son, Jesus, in whom I am well pleased. This was a tender, warm, relational unit. And when the disciples said to Jesus, how should we pray? He said, start like this. Our Father. He could have used any of the other names of God. But he went straight, for we have a Father in heaven. Therefore, it is no surprise that the New Testament church throbbed with a sense of family, fellowship, and community. We are made in the image of God, and God is a triune community. Father is the primary description of God, and family is the predominant metaphor for the New Testament church. And the leaders of the New Testament church would stress that they thought of themselves as fathers, more than leaders or pastors, that they were, but they would describe themselves repeatedly as fathers. References to mothers and brothers and sisters. Now sometimes we use brother and sister as just a fill-in if, if you forget someone's name, right? Hello sister, good to see you. That's code for I've forgotten your name. Nonetheless, it is a beautiful way to greet someone. Um, think of the Apostle Paul and how he really thought of himself as a father, he said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, you have many guides. You know what a guide's like? It's come with me, go there, that's what this is. And if you look at that building, like it, it, they get you around, but where's the heart? He says, you have many guides, but not many fathers. I became your father through the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, writing to the Thessalonians, he says, I was like a mother and father amongst you. So that's, that's a dude saying, like, I, I was like your mom. I was tender like your mom. And I was exhorting and strong like your father. Matthew 12, actually Mark 3 as well, and, and coincidentally, I, this was in my Bible reading this morning, which is such fun when you're a preacher and it pops up in your Bible reading what you're, you're preaching. Jesus had just started his ministry and he had, was gathering crowds, and he was saying some radical things, and his mum, don't know who his dad was, was dad wasn't around, Joseph, his mum and his brothers were worried about him. And it says they show up, showed up at maybe a venue like this, 
And from the outside, they sent a message in saying, your mother and brothers are here, come to us. And they were going to say, Jesus, you've gone a bit... And you just need to tone it down, and this new ministry that you've got, you need to reconsider. And Jesus said, because the crowd obviously heard, your mother and brothers are outside. He stopped and he said, my mother and brothers, these are my mother and brothers. And again, I don't want us to miss the drama of that. That would have actually hurt his family a bit. But Jesus was stressing, church is family. He was saying, yes, you've got your nuclear family and an extended family. And don't ignore that. And Jesus didn't. He was a great son, even to his mother when he was on the cross. He cared for her with nails in his hands. But he was saying, this is family. He wasn't saying that isn't, but he was saying, don't get so over-enamored with your nuclear or extended families that you miss the glory of church as family. And 1 Timothy 5, a, a, a book and a passage that I find so helpful as a, one of the leaders, the leader, I lead the team that leads this church. Um, the Apostle Paul's instructing Timothy about how to deal with people in the church. And he says, uh, treat older men he, he says, do not rebuke an older man. So I'm looking around for an older man, my good friend, uh, Richard Payne. Richard's ahead of me in, in years. Now, I consider him as a brother. He coaches and helps me. I'm wide open to that. I don't want you to think this is one-way traffic at all. In, in fact, he's a father in, in the faith in some ways. Some days he feels like a father to me, other days a brother. W whatever, we're family, right, Rich? PJ, if you ever need to rebuke Richard, how would you go about doing it? Well, Paul says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So I would take more time. I wouldn't wade in. I, I, I would want to tw tweak his direction, but I would do it gently and in an encouraging and honoring way. Paul's saying, Timothy, Timothy, you guys who lead churches, you do get it, don't you? It's not just a pragmatic thing of fix Richard. It's Treat him like a father. How, does, how do we treat uh, older women? Treat, treat older women as mothers. Isn't that beautiful? You can have a lot of fun with your mom, can't you? You know, you're pulling her leg, you're joking, but you're loving and you're tender. Uh, treat younger men as brothers. I've got three sons. I watch how they treat each other. One hour they punch each other. Few minutes later they hug each other they laugh with each other they correct each other isn't that great younger men young, <laughs> younger men need a punch one day and a hug the next right <laughs> uh, how do you treat younger sisters with all pure uh, uh, younger women as sisters with all purity isn't that great if you're a younger woman you're my sister I can treat you with all purity like a sister it means we can have a lot of fun give you a hug in a COVID safe way, right? But oh, he's thundering out, Timothy, you do get this as leader, don't you? Think of yourself in a fatherly, certainly a big brotherly way. So it takes a while to grow into a father. In fact, every one of us, think of ourselves not as members. Think of yourself as a sister, a brother, 
a mother or a father. Maybe you're a sister who's a sister to some and a mother to others. That's so healthy to cultivate that way of thinking. That's our theological, biblical foundation. But it's one thing to have a good mental assent to what the Bible says. It's another to actually apply it to our relationships, right? And the Apostle Paul sent Timothy to Corinth. He said, I'm sending Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. Not to preach another sermon to you, but to teach you the way of Christ and my ways of Christ. So I want to transition now from theology to ways or to application. And I'm going to throw out some encouragements. I'm going to throw out some suggestions. Don't let it be... uh, um, what's the word? I've just forgotten the word. Don't let it be exhaustive or, or you know, you come up with your own things. But I want to actually bring some color uh, to this. And I'm absolutely delighted to be able to say that Monument, I'm not teaching this to like major course direction for us. I'm teaching this really to, to pour some a bit more gasoline on the fire of our family, emerging, growing family life and fellowship. So not correction, but just encouragement. But in your handout, what are some things that limit or potentially could limit church as family? I would say the first is overstating the role of place. Thank God for this place. But church is more than just being here. Admittedly, any kind of community is a, more of a challenge during COVID. And I think we're doing great, all things considered. But overstating place can lead us to the faulty assumption that church is a meeting we go to as opposed to a group of people God has added us to. God's added us to a number. Isn't that beautiful? He's added us to a family, not to a building. Uh, The second one is overstating programs, like this Sunday meeting, like small groups, which we're not doing much of because of COVID, like a men's gathering, like like a Bible study, like that. Programs in church life are really helpful to help facilitate family life, but beware, if that is the basis of our family life, We ain't really got a family life. That would be like a family who sits down for a meal, that's the only time they talk and interact. That's not family life. One meal once a month or once a week, whatever it is. Programs facilitate community, it doesn't create community. And just a bit of cultural comparison here. Um, I'm South African and British blended. Uh, We don't play American football. And... We love soccer and rugby, but I'll stick to soccer because I think you understand soccer. Soccer is play together, say together, but figure it out as you go. (laughs) American football is play together, but we figure out beforehand exactly who does what. We tell you what to do and the goal is to stick to it. Slightly different philosophies, strengths and weaknesses to both. Simply and only applying this cultural way of thinking to community, if we think American football, when it comes to building church community, will get stuck without programs. Because it's like, it's like, sister, can you 
please make friends with her, 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 and her. Doesn't matter if there's no chemistry, make friends. That's like American football, okay, okay, okay. And it just, when it comes to building friends, it's, you just need to be a bit more, you need to be committed to together, like we are in American football. Soccer, committed to playing together. You get in real trouble in soccer if you play alone. It's like, off the team, buddy. But it's more spontaneous. You have to take initiative. I'm playing with you and I'm running. I'm in space. Pass the ball to me here. Where are you? Who can I pass to? You, you're deliberate, but you've got to take more initiative. And that's, that's really the essence of building community in church life. So when we think about planting monument during COVID, it's like the books say and will say, don't plant a church during COVID. I think they're wrong. I think this whole COVID thing has forced us to think more relationally about church than maybe we otherwise would. And great job, everybody. We said a couple of weeks ago that being a family like this is better than not being a family. And being a family from six feet is better than not being a family. I know it's not ideal, but we're committed to being the, the family of God. We're also committed to personal physical safety, obviously. Another challenge is overstating the role of pastors. Um, you've probably seen the pendulum can swing in a church or in a generation going from, woo, pedestalized pastors. And they must do everything, at least everything that's really important. That breeds passivity and idolatry, and it will definitely go wrong. And when it does go wrong, we get angry with pastors because... We deified them and got them to do things that they shouldn't do, and they will definitely fail us if that's the case. And the pendulum swings to who needs pastors. We are the priesthood of all believers, which we certainly are. And we can figure it out ourselves. So may the Lord help us to stay in this radical middle where we neither despise nor pedestalize pastors. And one of the key things the Bible says about pastors in Ephesians 4, pastors and teachers is that they are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So in my mind, I've got a distinction between capital P pastor, which I think I am, it's the office of a pastor, and pastoral, lowercase p. Pastors equip the saints to be pastoral. So kind of we're all in pastoral ministry. We pastor, we shepherd, we care for one another. The Bible's full of one another's, isn't it? Encourage one another, teach one another. There's a type of teaching that's right for pastors to do and an encouragement there. But the Bible puts saints together, Christians together, swirling in this community of mutual encouragement and care. And uh, if you ever listen in on how pastors talk, I think certainly healthy pastors talk, we often talk about how do we lead but not overlead? especially those with larger personalities. How do we lead strong, but not lead so strong that others don't come through into leadership? And how do we lead in a way that pro provokes and promotes the priesthood of all believers without compromising our responsibilities? I don't have an answer to that, except I think if we're always asking that question, the Lord will probably help us through on it. Both ends. Um, Two quick ones. Another limiter is confusing extended family or long-term friendship groups with church family. So in, in our Gaithersburg congregation, we've got some quite large extended families. And I'm so grateful to how porous they are. 
They haven't made their extended families their church. They're porous. They've known some f- friends for years and years, yet they're welcoming of others. That's, that's so healthy and good. And then one small one, kind of fun one, just reminding us, as if we need reminding, we're doing great. The welcome team at the door isn't really the welcome team. We are the welcome team. Because this is a family. So imagine, oh, there's probably 50 of us, 60 of us, something in the room. Some extended families, if it weren't for COVID, would honestly have 50 or 60 people in their huge homes for Thanksgiving. If you think that's a bit of a stretch and it's more like 30, just bear with me because the principle applies. Imagine you are uh, responsible and you're, you're a good family member and you know there's going to be 30 to 60 of you at Thanksgiving, uh, on, th- on Thanksgiving. You don't have a welcome team at the door because you're family. But you do have people particularly looking out for the fiancé and the girlfriends and the boyfriends who are new and they're going to feel a bit disconnected. But everybody in a healthy family has got their heads on a swivel. When you're hosting people at your home, you're just intuitively going, who's happy, who's new, who needs connecting, who can I get to invite? And no one just sits waiting for the Thanksgiving meal to begin. Everyone's talking, aren't they? I mean, you're waiting for the meal. That structured bit when you're all together. And that's how we can think about this place and this group. And even when we grow and get bigger, if we still think of it like that, that we're all responsible. Who's here? Who doesn't know? Church is a disaster if everyone's waiting for them, for others to come to them. You know how awkward that can be. Healthy family is, I want to check that you're okay. So I want to say well done on that. Honestly, Monument Frederick were a bunch of almost strangers who've been thrown together by the Lord and just in a short space of time we're getting to know each other and I want to say thank you and well done for that. Family members, they, they arrive early. Why? The meeting only starts at 11.30. I know, but I'm not going to a meeting. I'm going to the group of people to whom God has joined me. So if you can sneak in five or ten minutes socializing before and after, if you can walk across the room, say, hello, I don't know you. And you're going to tell me your name and I'll forget your name next week. That's all right, we're family. I'll eventually remember it. If everyone's doing a little bit of that, if everyone's turning up the love volume, just a couple of notches, that's very powerful. That's way more powerful than one or two people like being on 10, (laughs) scrambling around trying to bring the love. Hey, let's all just turn up a couple of notches. And well done on that. Let's keep going. Enhancers. Think family, not church. Uh, A couple of quick sort of trebles that have helped me, or triples. Um, We hope that everybody at Monument feels connected to the Monument family through three suction points of connection. Sorry if it's just got weird. (laughs) So there's vision. We want you to feel, yeah, I'm part of Monument because I believe in the vision to point people to Jesus and plant churches and push back darkness. Then we want people to feel part of Monument because they trust the leaders, not pedestalize, not despise, but they have a healthy regard for the leaders. You need, if you're going to be happy in a church, you need to feel confident in your leaders, uh, generally confident, right? We said a couple of weeks ago, you know, in the Jonah series, 
man, leaders can have a bit of a meltdown. They don't, mustn't be perfect, you know, can't be. But we need confidence in leaders. And then uh, community. You want to say, I'm in Monument because I've got friends. I've noticed as a trend, people, if you say to them in the first few weeks of, why are you coming along to Monument? They'll say, I like the preaching. You ask them a few, that's a few weeks in. You ask them a few months in, why are you coming along to Monument? They say, I'm making friends. Or it's beginning to feel like home. And then if you ask them after a year, why are you part of Monument? They'll be hard pressed to give you just one answer. They'll say, the preaching feeds my soul. I appreciate the way we're being led. I love the vision. And I've got some great friends. But hear ye this, thouest. <laughs> if, if you're only connected with one, you're a bit vulnerable. Because if your friends leave, that's what's joining you, you won't have much stickability. You know like that family you're really good friends with if they relocate to, to Detroit? And you're left and they're the only ones you really knew. You, you'll think, I don't know if I can stay. So it's dangerous just to be connected by friends. It's dangerous just to be connected because you love the leader. I love the leader so much. I don't know anybody else. I don't care what the vision is. Just the leader or the leaders. Very vulnerable because the leader will disappoint you or the leader will leave. And then if you're just, a, just joined by vision, I want to point people to Jesus, plant churches, push back darkness. That's great, but you'll be a little bit mechanical without the community element there. So all three, we want to continually cultivate those. And then just a little social one that's helped me, and we've moved around a fair bit and, you know, fairly new to this area, we've figured out that, some, that we feel connected and at home when we know lots of people a little bit, some people a reasonable bit, and a few people we know deeply. And that can maybe just help encourage us as, as you're joining or figuring out the monument community. You won't be besties with everybody. But it's great, particularly with a church as small as ours and the foundation of family we're trying to build, it is possible to know 50 people's names. You may not figure that all out in one month, but just consistently walking across the room and saying hello and grabbing a coffee or just spending five minutes after the meeting, you can figure, like, I think I know everyone's names and what jobs you've, you do. And that's not because I'm pastor, it's just because I'm your brother and sister and want to know. So that, that, that can be a really good way of feeling connected to lots of people a little bit. And uh, then if you go out for coffee or there's great restaurants after, you can get to know someone medium. And they may become your bestie or maybe not, but I'm just saying lots of people a little, some people a bit significantly, but not too much, and then a few people deeply. That's usually how we feel connected. And that's my prayer, praying that for each of us, that we'll all know lots of people a bit. And some people, to a decent degree, and a few people really well. And over the months, every group gets a bit bigger. It's the beautiful thing about, about consistency. Okay, let me bring it into lands with really close to where I started. Above all, let's 
enjoy and apply the gospel. Again, as church leaders, we're, we're just so conscious that we want to have wonderful objective truth of the Word of God, but it also needs to be applied so we can believe in the work and fruit and power and presence of the Spirit, but is the meaningful spiritual life. Uh, we can believe in this wonderful truth of church as family, but how do we actually cultivate it? And actually, good preaching, and I'm not suggesting, well, I hope, I hope we're decent preachers, but good preaching alone doesn't produce applied theology in church. That happens as we together say, we're going to live this out as best we can. That's what I was saying at the beginning. Paul said, I sent Timothy to remind you of my ways in Christ. I'm interested in the Bible that there's the spiritual gift of teacher and teaching. There's also the spiritual gift of leader and leading. Now, there's significant overlap, isn't there? How could you lead a church except through the Word of God? But it is interesting that they're different gifts. And I thank God for leadership gifts amongst us. I think there's many budding and emerging leadership gifts. Lead leadership gift, the leadership gift helps actually apply in, in a community, helps bring, bring this, this is what it looks like amongst us. And what does it look like amongst us? Well, friends, it looks pretty much like we're doing, but I hope this will be gasoline on the fires of fellowship and family and uh, community here. And let's not forget, a healthy community is one that will grow and people get added not to a corporation but to a family. And that's my prayer.